Hi, and welcome back to Old School. Today, our teacher will be Aidy Tilford. She is a adoptive mom and a longtime educator advocating for therapeutic trauma-informed living. Aidy hosts the 8,000 Promises podcast, writes a monthly essay for her newsletter subscribers, and guest preaches at First Presbyterian Church in Grand Junction. She also serves on the women's ministry team, enjoying both low and high impact adventures with Pray and Play. That'll be interesting to hear about. Um, 80s writing and speaking engagements illuminate the therapeutic love of Jesus, the ongoing journey of healing from complex development trauma, and the in the trenches experiences of becoming a therapeutic parent, educator, and friend. Most of the year, Aidy prays and plays in the desert in Colorado where the cactus bloom and coyotes, is that caper? Yes. Interesting. In the front yard. (laughs) She is making her home the place she loves to be with her hubby, Sam, and their two incredible daughters. Welcome to class, Aidy. Thank you to finally meet you. I feel like uh, I'm back in my, you know, original stomping grounds being the teacher of a class. Oh, excellent. That's what I like. So yeah. what, what I do here is um, my my podcast is paralleling my book, which was a lot of trauma throughout my childhood. The first book is a memoir. The second book will be kind of going over how all that got walked out and how I got and maintained health in the mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. So that's what I try to look for when I have someone come on, someone who can speak to any of those areas about getting and maintaining that mental or emotional health. But I'd like to start before we dive into like your podcast and your blog and how you work with folks. I've listened to your podcast about, you know, that emotional health. I, you saw, you had a couple of podcasts in that regard, some in the mental health space, Um, but your story, how you got, you know, to the point where you were doing this podcast and where you felt led to, um, to tell this story. Well, yeah, sure. You know, actually, I feel like it's really similar to you uh, and what I've heard from you that I wanted to write a book and I met with a publisher and the publisher said, you need a platform. And I said, what's that? (laughs) What do you mean? I need a platform. Uh, The thing up at the front of the church is called... (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, okay. But at that time I was not preaching. I was not doing anything speaking or right. I mean, I had blogged for a while around the adoption journey and that experience. And then I stopped doing that because I was learning so much more about how sacred our children's stories are. And so how the boundary setting around my kids' stories and really like, that's not the place to write. And at the same time, I was getting a full education around trauma-informed parenting that really led me to understand how much trauma I had in my own childhood and my own story that at the beginning, I really didn't even understand was unresolved or how it was impacting my life. But through the parenting journey, I've learned so much more about that. So... About five years ago, we went through a a really challenging time. Uh, an event kind of ruptured all of those old childhood wounds. And I had done a lot of therapy. I had been working. I mean, I had been doing a lot of work on my own story throughout the 20 years 
before this happened really. And uh, I thought I had been doing so much, but what happened was this event just made it where I couldn't really function anymore. I developed PTSD and I, I was parenting two little girls and trying so hard to do the right thing for them. You know, I was married and trying to uh, be, keep that relationship alive and well. And I was trying to learn how to advocate for one of my kids. And in that, I realized I didn't even know how to advocate for myself. And interestingly, I had been quite the advocate for my students as a public education, a, a teacher in public education. But for whatever reason, that personal intimate place of my own story and even then how my children's stories rubbed up against that, I, I just developed this awareness that I didn't really know how to do that. And so God took me through this beautiful journey of advocacy, learning how to do it. It was beautiful, I say, but it was like really painful and life-changing. And at the end of this year, I kind of hit a wall where I couldn't function anymore. And I decided I heard God speak and whisper, like, stop, stop working and write. And I didn't really know exactly what that meant. I've always loved being a writer. Uh, I, I taught English, high school English. And I love, I never loved teaching writing, but I love writing. <laughs> Um, reading, writing, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, and teaching writing is a whole nother. I mean, so writing coaches and people who teach other people how to write and Lamont, like, thank you. You know, <laughs> oh, my writing coaches are <gasps> gift from God. Game changer. Yeah. Tracy miles has been my writing coach. I love mm -hmm. that you've worked with Bob Goff. Like it's so, it's such a special gift to have someone who knows how to teach writing, coach writing. And so so anyway, I, I used writing to do this advocacy work and it was through writing and advocating for my kiddo in this really specific way that I, I found a lot of freedom in doing some healing work and processing work and advocacy justice work as an adult for my child, understanding that I had never had anybody do that for me for all kinds of reasons. And I don't ever want that to be said in like a judgy way. I, I'm so tender toward my family around all of the things because so much wasn't known. And yeah, and you can't do certain things if you don't have information on it. So praise God, we adopted and I was given all kinds of tools and information around trauma and understanding that because I could have had the exact same scenario go down. I probably would have without that training, but because of it, I had a lot of resources and support and a really strong community built around me to help me get through things like PTSD and recovery from that. So anyway, I stopped working and I ended up writing a lot of therapeutic writing that probably will never be seen by another soul. <laughs> uh, but, you know, my husband's read some or my counselor for sure, I would send her things, but that's what that time was spent doing. And at the end of it, I did a I listened to a training by Lisa Turkers where she said, here's you know, when you know if it's something to share or something that's just kind of therapeutic in nature. And so I sort of had this moment where I was like, I think I'm at a point where I'm where I want to share some wisdom. And so yeah, then I ended up like looking for outlets for building a platform. 
I want to say, I just listened to your interview with uh, Whitney Aiken and I was really grateful for your conversation on social media because I am in a place of really still struggling with social media and what it means as a Christian author and the industry. But what I am loving is podcasting. And I started the podcast to build a platform, but I, uh, I just took three months off from everything. And the one real clear, clear place I want to continue growing and developing is in podcasting. And so I don't know exactly what that means, or I don't, and I don't know that it's ever got some, like you said, some promised outcome, but I know that it's something that is going to keep helping me use my voice in a way that I know I need to. I, I, the, when this started, when my journey started, um, and I, and we'll get into more of that. I, I don't want to like take away from my, the <laughs> landing the plane for when we do uh, follow this podcast with yours, but yeah. at the same token, the Lord tapped me 10 years ago to write a book. And I, we, I was in a Bible study for, on Isaiah and it tip, dipped its toe into Esther. And I honestly thought at the beginning that it was solely for me. I was like, you know, my daughter was going to college to be an author. She's taking an English creative writing degree at ASU. And I'm like, she's the author, Lord, you know, like Moses, you know, I, you picked the wrong gal, but yeah. he showed me right then. And I dragged my feet for a little while and went through my divorce. And then it was like, okay, I'm on my face before him. He's like this writing of this. Yes. For you right now. Then as a little bit of time went on, he showed me you know, each step forward to it becoming more about helping other, if it's going to work together for good, it has to be told otherwise. And you're right. There is like so much that should be shared and some that shouldn't. And I'm understanding that as I'm writing this, Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, if it doesn't work together for good, if it is not used to bring the comfort to others that I receive then, oh my goodness, what, what, what was that all about? You know, and, and it, it makes it really hard. And um, so I understand completely the journey and how writing it down, like was dragging me back through. And I feel I'm on the other side of that. It's maintaining that health, but I'm just saying it still makes you, you know, it's just as real, you know, forgiving people getting through and healing doesn't mean you forget or that that isn't still a lens you use when you look at the world. It's still there. It's always going to be there. Yeah. And I think that is, uh, maybe it's, maybe it's a lie, uh, you know, how really good news can be used, like spun by the enemy to make <laughs> us, to really make us suffer. And I think I just was thinking about this. Uh, there's a song that I really love and it says, uh, my past erased is the first line. And I thought that's, that's the line that I think kept me suffering in a lie. My past, when my past kept coming up and I thought, but I gave this to Jesus. Like, I don't, it's not, why is it? I, what am I doing wrong? It just kind of like, I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing this wrong. And, uh, and it might, I'm like, I actually need to look at the lyrics, but I, I think she says my past erased the rest of the song. I love, but I've been singing it instead, my past embraced instead of erased, because that is what I'm learning most 
most recently that it's my past will never be erased. Like you just said, there's always going to be something that might even trigger the hardest parts, but my past can be embraced by God and the people who love and know me most. And I, it's not going to be held against me and I don't have to keep holding it against others. And that's, that's what I'm learning about forgiveness is that it's laying it down and saying, God, you, I, I really actually have to trust you that you're going to take care of this. And I think, I mean, and I, I think probably you and I could really relate and anyone else who's had a, an experience of abuse in childhood, especially sexual abuse, where you're silenced and there's all kinds of reasons you're silenced in that experience, but you, you start to think your voice doesn't matter. You start to think you have no voice really that you like you are voiceless. And I think God saying you're, you have a voice and it's a voice that other people need to hear. And your testimony can bring somebody else into a place that they can know me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm 61. And when all of this transpired, it was during a time in the world where people just didn't talk about it in general, let alone within families and stuff like that. So yeah, um, ha having that, uh, I never had not one counselor, not one doctor. No one looked at me. When I was five years old, it was a 23-year-old man who molested me for a year and a half. And um, was also my step other cousins. And so, you know, I, my story comes alongside how I had the ultimate comforter with me all along that caused me to have the little mind that could reconcile the things that were happening to me. But I understand completely getting so far down the road before you realize what your healing requirements are. And and what you need to let go and not let go of, because when you're really little, you don't, you don't necessarily grasp evil, but I knew even really young for whatever reason, the Lord gave me that, that this was the, the evil or the bad of that person who was doing it to me, not God. I, you know, whatever concept I had of him or not me being wrong or me doing something to deserve that. And I, cannot tell you how that knowledge from the Lord, even little, you know, and, and it came and went my awareness of it, but still, um, I, you know, there used to be a joke back in like the eighties of when people got, went through trauma that they would be up on a clock tower with a rifle, you know, or whatever. And I don't need any of that or a prayer closet, but you, you, you do have to process that somehow, um, and let it have its voice. And that's why the second book, my second book, going over that is called Out Loud. And mm -hmm. um, and I, it's it's important that, that that is what happens and not, you know, in an opportunity to blame everyone involved. That's not it at all. In fact, I forgave all of that because that's a bitterness I can't carry. So I think that's awesome that you're, the Lord is actually taking that process for you and using it already for your daughters to be prepared for their walking out of that process. And I assume then that means a book is coming. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I've got a good start on a book. So <laughs> hopefully someday it will actually get finished and published. I think, you know, I feel like I've spent the last two years just trying to build a platform and that's the slowest progression ever, but I don't have time to be on social media and run a podcast and write this book. And so I have a really great book proposal, Anna, you know, but constantly the message is your numbers, right? Your numbers. And so then I think God's timing is awesome and good. And I may, uh, I'm I'm really starting to lean more toward just getting it done and getting it self-publishing. Self-published. And is that what you did? Did you end up self-published? No, I haven't published yet. Um, with my writing coaches, we we honed out the schedule. What I told them first was that I wanted to go traditional. Um, I and it was so funny because they had to inform me. I mean, all of this is a brand new process. I joined Compel. I submitted two book proposals, even though I wasn't even <clears throat> remotely prepared to do that. I get now that the Lord was making me walk those to understand what even one is. Yeah. And then now my coaches are walking me through the other things, the other components. And, and I told them the Lord has been called me to this and has been breaking boundaries and barriers from the get-go, from the jump. So I know that he already knows who the agent will be, who the publisher will be, who will the readers will be. And he's already sent the Holy Spirit out before that. So I know I have to still walk the process of sending out query letters and book proposals and all that. I have a list of about a hundred agents. My writing coaches have helped me hone my book proposal and my query letter. But what was interesting is they also told me, Michelle, don't hang on to things because traditional publishers will want to change the title. They'll want to change the, I had a photographer already shoot the cover photo and the interior photos. And I said, I'm, I don't want to change them. I go, so I get it that industry say, this is the way we've always done it, but I yeah. just feel like the Lord didn't call me to this vision to not see it through. So I'm going to get the agent and I'm going to get the publisher that sees that through. Now, if that means I have to pivot to self-publishing to get it done, so be it. But I'm going to go the route he's led me on first. <laughs> That's such trust. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have nothing to lose. Honestly, yeah. because yeah. if this book was every person I've encountered, I had my first speaking engagement when I was in Hawaii visiting my brother and his wife that I, that, that terrifies me. My writing coaches told me in May, you have to have a podcast. I started it. Bob Goff was my first guest. It started in June and I'm off to the races. And I was like, okay, I'm 61 years old. I'm starting a podcast. This is crazy. Then a couple of months ago, he's like, okay. Now you got to start speaking. I mean, he even said things like you need to do a speaking tour. You need to find somebody cooler than you that can be a draw, that can get more money for the tour, rent a bus and you're off to the races. And I was just like, what? <laughs> so okay. I have been thrust out of my comfort zone all year, but I have been obedient to the Lord and to my writing coaches and I'm doing what they ask of me. So um, their advice has been, invaluable. I'm just so great. So I just think I, my full trust, if, if, if this book never got published, it would not have broken my heart for who has been touched by it. My photographer on the day she shot my pictures was told by her husband that he was having an affair. The girl was pregnant. Oh. And 
that she had never been anything better to him than a maid. He, she, he was horrific. And I went through a horrific divorce too. Um, and she, I said, well, well, oh my God, I, let's not do this today. And she's like, no, I need this today. And so every person along the way has needed to hear. And just like you're saying, we, in a room of a hundred people, they say only 50%, but I think closer to 90% has walked some portion of our journey because I had physical abuse by my biological father, then the sexual abuse, then emotional and some other abuse all the way through my divorce. So, you know, I just think everyone has had, unfortunately, a little piece of that. So our stories matter. Our stories matter for them to work it out together for good and to meet Jesus too. Absolutely. I Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, at this, now you do already uh, create transcripts from your podcast, right? Yeah, I've been doing it, but I'm, really I want to hear about your decision to... Um, have hire somebody for your editing and production. Cause I do everything myself right now. And I have when you, that learning curve. I last year, I, I wasn't very busy. I said, when God said, why don't you slow down? I was like, well, I've slowed down. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was like producing a podcast. I was working part-time in the school district as in a leadership position. I was speaking every month, at least at one venue or another for the entire year, I did that. And I, well, I guess nine months, because then in September, I was like, I I took up God's offer for rest and thank goodness. And I, it gave me really great insight. What do I love to do and what is harder? And the harder things aren't necessarily wrong, but I need to be more thoughtful about how I build them in. Like I I honestly speaking at an evening women's ministry event is not my favorite thing, even though I know God used, like it is a beautiful gift from God. And there always have been really great connections that come from it. As far as like people saying that what I share is meaningful. Um, But when I do it, I know that I need to be more thoughtful about it probably needs to be a paid gig. Like I need to know that. And I I know that sounds silly, but like, no, it doesn't sound silly. It sounds like, Oh, I'm not just going to give my thing, but I'm like, it's so hard for me. It's so taxing on me emotionally. Like I have to make sure I can take care of myself after I do a presentation like that or give a message. Whereas like preaching at church on scripture even though I weave in parts of my story, I weave in my learning and uh, like that doesn't have that same uh, impact or effect on me. I really love it. Like I could do that a lot. That's really fun for me. So I don't know where, I don't know if it's like just where it's so much more scripture focused versus like when you go and you do it, it's a message, it's their scripture, but it's also who you are. And I love podcasts. I love letting other people shine and getting to be a part of sharing their story, letting them share their story. And I love that. So that's been an interesting part of this of like, okay, honing in what, what's good. What's hard. What do I love? What do I want to put my time in? Where do I want to stop? And I did quit my school district job heading into this fall, knowing that I really was, I was hopeful at the end of the sabbatical that God was like, that there would be, Hey, this, creative avenue. This is what we're going to do for a little bit. Um, and so I'm 
excited for that. And I am going to do some consulting work in my school district a little bit as well to keep uh, trying to build more um, trauma-informed spaces. So, well, I don't, I'm divorced and trying to date, imagine that at 61, but anyway, love um, it. <laughs> but so I can't quit my job. So I have a day job. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's not tax season, I only work Monday through Thursday. So I do have like a three day weekend. And so I could stay, I could literally, if I was behaving, stick to a commitment of 500 words a day, that's 10,000 words a month. Um, that should, that should suffice towards yeah. finish, you know, landing the plane on my book and stuff. Um, but yeah, then you throw in a podcast and a lot of people do it every week. I'm like, I cannot keep up with every week as well as all this other. So I said, I'm going to do every other week, but I'm going to stay consistent. I'm not going to have a break. A lot of people who have a podcast have a like couple month break and then they start up the next season. I'm just not, I even have tax season coming up from January to April and I'm still going to plow along. And, um, but that my coaches talking about that too, we're talking about, um, you know, the speaking gigs, yes, to get them paying is to get on the stages at conference. So go look into the conferences, they are paying the heavy hitters, and maybe you're not on the A stage, you're on the B, C, D, whatever stage over here, but it's something. Um, I I don't care at the moment, I just need to get some so I yeah. can create a sizzle reel and I can have a reason for anybody to want to hear from me in the first place. Oh, there's so many so, reasons. But that's, I mean, his advice about finding somebody cooler than you, like Danny Goki or something, and, you know, and putting it together and then getting on a bus tour, then you'll get a couple of churches or a couple of venues to really, you know, they'll yeah. take over, they'll pay you and they take over worrying about whether there are butts in the seats or not, you know, okay. so You know, I I do want to say it was an incredibly privileged opportunity. I do not want to act like I don't think that, that I financially could stop working for three months, fully focus on what was right in front of me. I I mean, I am raising children in school age, so I am not, I wasn't like on a vacation for three months. Um, Being a mom is a bigger job than any gainful employment out there. Yeah. And I mean, even working part-time is a privilege uh, because first of all, teachers don't make money. And second of all, part-time teachers make half of that. So it wasn't like I was uh, making a ton, but financially it helped our family. And so for the opportunity to have a three-month period where I can, and even now maybe another three months where I'm able to try to make something more happen from this creative endeavor and really intentionally focus on that, that is privilege. And I am grateful for it. And I also just want to be real about it, that I get it, that not everyone can do that. And, and so that I did try to really honor that if God was inviting me to do that, And like that there was this really privileged space that whatever learning and knowledge and wisdom came out of it that I would want to share with people. So hopefully that will keep coming from it. And honestly, God did a lot of healing and repair work in this time. And I think if I am going to be someone who's more public about my story in my life, uh, I probably needed to have 
some of those repair pieces in place. And so I'm grateful. I And I really am a proponent of finding rest, no matter what your schedule is or how much you have to work, figure out how we can rest because it's a game changer. And God actually says that it's an important part of who we are made to be to rest. And so I think, wow, not everybody gets three months of rest, but everybody can find 30 minutes of rest in their week or day, you know? So uh, when we talk about like all of those physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, I actually think rest is helpful for all four of them. There, look at um, in physical, you can be exercising fabulously. You can be eating pristinely, but if you don't sleep well, and some people think that alcohol helps them sleep, but no, all it does is help you pass out. It actually is terrible <laughs> for sleep. Way worse. And um, but I have honed. I'm a science geek, so I drill down. I do a bunch of research, and yeah. I have followed a doctor on Instagram who talks about this and I have put together my own little cocktail of inositol magnesium and glycine. And I am telling you, it is a sleeping pill. As long as I do a couple of other things that don't sabotage that, I have a little bit of that in my electrolyte water before I go to bed and I sleep the deep sleep like a baby. And mm. I've even started not needing a full eight hours. My body is waking itself up like a half hour before my alarm might normally go off. So I do some things like putting the phone down an hour or so before bed, not eating within three hours of bed, you know, things like that, not letting anxiety overtake me, which part of the phone is that, as well as watching the news or something that's going to like up the ante on anxiety. So I do those things too, but I'm seriously sleep, lack of sleep or poor sleep will sabotage everything. And so I couldn't agree more that, that, and I get that sometimes rest isn't necessarily sleeping as much as like critical though. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's probably the best place to start is But I also think good sleep happens. It's like when you have a baby and it's like that, you know, if they get a good nap in, then they get good sleep. So it's for me, uh, one of the things I did during this three months was that I didn't get on my phone or any technology. Most days I cannot say I was perfect at it. Uh, But it was one of my like rhythms I was trying until I dropped my children off at school. And so I started my morning without that stressor of technology. And then at, by eight o'clock, I had put it away. And so I had that time in the evening also tech-free. So honestly, that's rest. So, I mean, if someone is feeling like, I don't know, like putting your technology away for an extra hour in your day is rest because your mind is able to like let go of that and focus on what's in front of you. And so I think... That was a beautiful thing. I had really, I mean, I always do time with God in the morning, but I noticed how much richer it was because I wasn't thinking about what, am I going to have time to check my email before my kiddo's out of bed? Instead, I was just like with God, I heard the alarm go off, then I'm with my kids and that, and we're, and I'm actually getting some of the little house things done. So when I came home from drop off, the kitchen is already like nice. And I, I didn't have to worry about that. So then I could think, oh, I can take my dogs for their walk and I can go a little slower. 
because I don't have all these other things to do. Even good things. Like I enjoy doing podcasts and it has been fun for me, but my body reacts to both good and bad anxiety. And I've made it a mission of mine to try and figure out the best way for me to harness it as opposed to trying to fight it. Because the more I try to fight it and stifle it or something, the the worse it gets. So there are so many great ways with breathing techniques or getting actual natural sunlight instead of your phone or just different little things that I do that help me like harness it into positive, you know, get stuff done energy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. and. I actually, that's true for everybody, every human body, uh, positive stress and negative stress impact your body the same way. But if you have a trauma history, it's even more important to be aware of that. And that was one thing we learned very early on that helped me understand Christmas. And I don't know when this is coming out, but we're recording before Christmas. The reason why people have meltdowns in holiday seasons is because there's all this really, really good extra stress There's so many good celebrations, but then also there's all the hard things about holidays, the grief and loss of your story, not looking the same way it is, or missing a family member or missing whatever it might be. There's both things that pop up at holiday time. And we learned this in our adoption training early on that Christmas can be one of the hardest times, both because of the loss of birth family and first families and because of this extra gift giving and parties and all the extra stimulation that we all say, but that's so fun. That's so good. But for a vulnerable nervous system, it just adds stress and it gets processed the same way as too much, you know, at some point, that's why we have a meltdown. Yeah. So that was really helpful for me because I was like, oh, that's why sometimes I have a meltdown at Christmas time. (laughs) Oh, Okay. Good, good for a key for the family. That's right. <laughs> Here's a legend for how mom's doing over the holidays. Yeah. Well, but, and we've done a lot of work in our family that we build in a lot of downtime. We build in a lot of rest that we, awesome. we don't do every event we are invited to. We have it built in Christmas Eve. There's always like three or four hours that nothing is planned and we are together. And if there's a need for feelings to be felt, uh, it's okay. Like, I mean, we are okay with it anytime, but we really have it built in where it's That's awesome. part of our rhythm. Yeah. It's it has to acknowledge everything. it because I think in any area of your life, if yeah. you don't acknowledge, like it's the physical, if you don't acknowledge how your body happens to treat food and what goes on or mentally, uh, we just had a message, a series at our church on thoughts and how if we have 60,000 thoughts a day and 95% of them are repeats. So yeah, and yeah. 75% of them are negative. So if you're not conscious of that and conscious of taking those captive and, you know, and just on and on and on. So you have to be self-aware, I think is the number one key for any part of your life mm-hmm. uh, to, to have any kind of healing or recovery for sure. Yes, I agree. And to make changes that can make your day-to-day life feel better. Simpler. (laughs) I mean, we, as a parent, you're going to walk with your kids in hard meltdown times. It's going to happen. Do you have space in your life so that you don't end up melting down next, right? Or that you don't lose it on them because they're just having a hard time? That's a lot of learning I've had to do. How do I make sure we have space? So maybe God was preparing me this whole time, little by little, build space in here. 
Now do it for a whole day on Sabbath. Like now you're going to Sabbath for a whole year. You're going to do that. Now you're going to do three whole months where you have this time and space. And, and honestly, that's the first, like there was one of these great unfixables of my life that God came in and a incredible unexpected encounter that I don't think could have happened if I kept being busy and, and not leaving some space. So, yeah, where he's, he's sitting there waiting for us. Yeah. Well, this is awesome. You're, you're right. I think we have so much that crisscrosses, but I think that's also the case of people at large, not just women. There are so many men yeah. who not only have gone through a similar trauma, but or maybe dating someone who has and need to have that understanding of how our mind and our emotions and our soul and our just to our very spirit works. Yes. So if they can get that kind of understanding and that's how I view it. It's so funny when I'm writing my book proposal, they're like, who's your audience? And I'm like, everybody, but they don't want you to say <laughs> they don't want that. <laughs> everybody. everybody, you know, if they haven't been through trauma, they're dating someone who has. Yes, no, it's so true. <laughs> Or you get married to somebody and then you start realizing how your stories bump against each other. And if, yeah, if you don't have any of these skills, what else do you do? You know, but it's going it's gonna to explode the iceberg. Yeah. 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 So that's been, I mean, yeah, Sam and I have had a lot of, a lot of learning and growing in this, especially in the last five years where we're, yeah, figuring out how, how do we do this together? Uh in a way that feels really authentic and right and beautiful, you know, and, and odd God honoring. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, hun. So I end every episode with a nugget. All right. So what is the one thing that you wish you had known or someone had told you sooner, sooner than now, for sure? Hmm. I think maybe it is this thing that has been that I've already kind of brought up with that my my story is embraced rather than erased. Uh, when I was 14 and I was baptized and I just remember this, like, you're washed clean. And I think I, you know, in my concrete thinking brain, learning about Jesus and washed clean and it's literally snowing outside my window and you're white as snow. And you think like, that means I won't face any of this stuff again. And so then I, I forgive it. And that means I don't have to face any of this again. But what happens is that in the cycle of your life, you will reface these things again and again. Uh, my pastor, my everybody, the, the spiral. So the first time you face it again, it's to do this little bit of work. And then the next time you face it again, it's to go a little bit deeper in the work or a little bit wider in the work. And so again and again, we will face it. And each time God is with us, embracing our stories. And I think if I would have understood that differently as a kid, uh, that it's not forgotten, it's not erased. Like those words are like that you won't experience harm from it anymore. But that instead, and I did just learn this in March, that when it comes up, you're going to have to lay it down again. And you're going to have to ask God for help in doing that again. And you're going to invite people in your life, your friends or your partner to help you in that moment, recognize that that might've brought it up for you and that you're not alone, even though it's your story that maybe it's your husband or maybe it's your best friend saying to you, that was hard. 
and I'm in it with you. Your willingness to be raw and transparent, that's all he's asking of us. I think the washed clean means of the guilt or the shame or the forgiveness. We have the received the forgiveness from our Lord. We don't, he he killed, he laid to waste to the shame because whether we, you know, people realize it or not, we know that we didn't do anything wrong for that to happen, but there's still shame. There's still guilt that comes with it. We start to think, you know, the parts that maybe we had played or whatever it might be. And that's what I think gets washed away. I think it is, other than being the mind of God, we are not going to be able to. And you are going to have to be able to share that even as you get into relationships so that they understand what, how you operate and why it's that way. I don't mean sit around glorifying it and having to repeat right, it. Day right. We don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. This, that's sitting in a victimhood. That's letting them get away with it over and over and over, but addressing it and having to, you know, it's there. Yeah, It like, creates a filter that we're going to have for the rest of our life. Yeah. And I think that's a difference in being a grown up and saying, or an adult and saying, grown up, that was so little of me. Um, <laughs> being an adult and saying, I understand the metaphor of washed clean and being a child taught those messages and thinking, and that, and that being set in your neural pathway of this is what it means. And having to come up to grips again and again with what does that actually mean to lay down shame or let God have it? Because it's not the same as what you think when you're a little kid and something's washed clean. Right. So. Yeah. I, yeah. I think we, we sometimes get kind of lost in the, the muck of uh, churchy phrases yeah. and different things. And we need to understand that like small children don't understand that, but it sounds great. And why would you say no to that? Right. So you know, we move forward in that, but that can lead to young people who, when they become early adults, like feeling like they need to recommit or re get saved or yeah. whatever it might be yeah. because they didn't really truly understand what was going on. Yeah. Um, and that's a shame of it. We want them to truly understand yeah. what Christ did for us and what that can mean to healing. But it doesn't mean that, you know, some of the things that we have out there. So getting terminology on the level playing field is really important, I think. Yeah. Um, and that's part of even like the speaking event I did. I talk about that a little bit, too, because the terminology around trauma and abuse um, has got a different meaning today. I'm not saying people aren't abused or have that trauma, but I just think some people have twisted around some of what that meant and what I know I went through as an experience. So um, it's always good to be able to be clear, be transparent, be genuine. And that is totally what you've been today. And I really oh, appreciate thanks. it. That's <laughs> it awesome. fun. Thanks for having me. Really wonderful. Sure. So I want to thank you all for coming to class today. And if you want to reach out to 80, you can get a hold of her through all of the contact information um, that are in the podcast notes, um, her podcast, Instagram, all of that good stuff. Um, you can also find uh, Old School on all of your favorite platforms. And if you'd leave me a rate, a review, a download, something, anything, help a sister out, <laughs> I would appreciate it. And so I just want to thank you for coming to class today and class dismissed. Woohoo! Woohoo!